Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode number 20. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. We've got a fantastic show. Uh, my friend and and just a super nice guy, Chad Gamble, is going to be joining us. Of course, Chad uh, is with Jason Isbell in the 400 unit, um, just doing tons of great work out there. So we're going to be talking with Chad here in just a second. So please stay tuned. Lost Cabos drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today. Lost Cabos Drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as promised, we're going to be joined by the great Chad Gamble here in just a moment. I had the great fortune of, uh, of meeting and hanging out with Chad a couple of times at Jason Isbell shows. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm a huge Jason Isbell fan, been a, a huge fan of Chad's playing for a number of years. Chad is celebrating his 10th anniversary playing with Jason in the 400 unit. And of course, uh, just picked up a, a Grammy. Chad did. Jason picked up a couple uh, the record prior to a couple years back, another couple of Grammys. Um, Jason's work just speaks for itself. Um, a few years back, Americana Artist, Album, and Song of the Year. So critically acclaimed band. And Chad is truly just one of the, the nicest, kindest, and most genuine people you're going to find in the music business. I am proud to call him uh, an acquaintance of mine. He, he's a buddy. Uh, and he took some time out of his busy schedule. I uh, had a couple of weeks off from the road and took time to come on the drum shuffle. So let's welcome Chad Gamble to the show. Hey, good afternoon, Chad. How's it going, man? Doing fine. How about yourself, Jamie? Man, I cannot complain at all. Thanks so much for taking time. Um, I know this is some well-deserved time off the road for you, and, and I just want to say this interview is long overdue. Uh, so <laughs> thanks for finding the time to get on the show finally, brother. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to do it, and I apologize for not being able to hook up with you. Uh, before this, but yeah. Well, I mean, you're busy. I mean, um, it, it's it's amazing. You know, I've caught several shows over the last few years, and you know, Jason is just working you guys to death. I mean, we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking. You guys are booked solid through you know the whole summer into the fall with hardly any time off. So that's good, right? It's good. It's. Uh always good to be working um and you know there, there's always a silver lining at the end of 
actually, you know, about this point in every record cycle, uh, you know, you can start to see some downtime coming to where you're primarily doing weekends, um, you know, and then fewer, uh, or, or there's, you know, uh, wider breaks in between being out and being home, you know. So you go from being on the road from for three to four weeks at a time to being home for that amount of time and, and you know they kind of just flip-flop there towards the end of record cycles so it, it's it's good yeah well and, and and you know i mean you guys um and i want to talk about your record cycle you know as we get through the interview um, but typically what we like to do is start at the very beginning. Now, of course, you know, a lot of our listeners will probably know that that you had that you were a part of the Gamble Brothers band with your brother, Al. Um, you know, so right. I, I, I want to start at the beginning. You know, did you grow up in a musical family? Were your parents musicians as well? My uh, grandmother on my father's side was prob was not probably, but definitely the most uh, musically inclined person in the family uh, that we remember. She, very talented, played pianos, had a beautiful voice, played ukulele, played dobro, played, uh, and you almost name it. And she she also was a, a dancer as well. She loved to dance. And she was always involved in, in these singing groups like... Uh, I don't know if you guys had this type of thing around in your towns or whatever, but it was called the Sweet Adelines, and it was uh, mostly a cappella group. Sometimes they'd have piano accompaniment, but it was almost like a female barbershop quartet, basically, is what it was. Uh, and so a lot of it comes from that. Now, as far as my parents, my dad, uh, you know, moved some chords on the guitar, could blow the harmonica a little bit. But moreover, I think he was appreciative. He was uh, musically so much so that, you know, he uh, almost would rather be a bystander and and, and watch it happen and, and listen to it. And um, he uh, always very supportive. Me and my brother had a great record collection that we would just, you know, spend hours with uh, either together or individually. And, uh, and then, so I, I guess my brother and I, you, you could say, you know, it comes from our grandmother. I gotcha. Didn't skip a, didn't skip a generation, but just kind of passed through just kind of slightly. I don't know. Sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and kind of the same thing with me, you know, I've got an older brother who was a college disc jockey. So, you know, I mean, I kind of couldn't escape rock and roll because it was around, you, you know, yeah. so, um, it, you know, those upbringings, you know, it either gets in your blood or it doesn't, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, right. You know, um, now, obviously, you're an Alabama native, you know, did you do, you know, marching band and things like that in school or was it more of a, you know, just kind of a, a, a rock and roll you know, slash muscle shoals, soul music, kind of upbringing that, that got, that drew you into playing? Uh, well, it drew me into playing. It happened before, or the drawing me into playing, I should say, happened well before like high school and school band. Um, uh, but I was, yes, in marching band. I started 
in band in school when I was probably seventh grade, just playing snare. Played snare all, the whole way through, pretty much, actually. Uh, and our town, uh, small town in North Alabama, uh, school probably had, I don't know, my, in my grade, there's maybe 100, 105 kids. Uh, and so the band was not very big. Gotcha. Because uh, there's a lot of athletes and, you know, other activities. But, so, yeah, I, I got talked into getting into the band by the band teacher who had seen me play drums uh, in other situations. Uh, like I, in sixth grade or so, I got called up to the high school because there were some, uh, some musicians that were actually my brother's age uh, that were going to be playing and accompanying the chorus for a, you know, a couple of numbers and nobody, they didn't know anybody played drums except for me, who's, you know, five years younger than them. And so I went and set my drums up and played some songs with them. And, uh, the band teacher saw that or band director, I should say, saw that talked me into to just giving it a shot. And I did and threatened to quit, you know, about every other year, (laughs) uh, just and I don't even know why. I have no idea why I would do that. Why I would threaten quit. But uh, so yeah, I played in marching band and went through a couple of different directors. Uh, the last one that we had, who had to talk me back into coming in the band my junior year, uh, was probably the one I got along the best with. And we, uh, at the end of every summer, or at the, excuse me, at the end of every school year. Uh, I would be given a tape. So I wasn't the strongest reader. And I think the band director had too many other fires to put out with like woodwinds and, and brass and all that, you know. And so what they would do, and each one of them did this, though, they would give me a tape at the end of the school year. Of, Here's the songs we're going to do on cassette. You figure out a good part for it. And teach it to the rest of the, the drum line. So I would do that best I could. It wasn't always great, and I would have to get help with it sometimes. But they put that trust in me, and that that kind of helped me, you know, figure out that, hey, you know, here's they're giving me a bunch of outlets to learn some stuff kind of my own way. Uh, and B, you know, they're trusting me to be a leader and, and you know, they, they must have some kind of faith in me. Um, so I, I stuck with it again, not a strong reader. We would do well at competitions. Um, and thankfully they weren't reading note for note judges. I mean, they weren't, you know, <laughs> scoring me on how well we read and I'm not taking credit for everything, but you know, that was, that was a lot to be put on, uh, a kid that age, uh, you know, that's a lot of responsibility. So I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, I didn't continue to do it through college. I went straight to the bar bands in college. So Sure. Well, and I'm sure that that, that uh, experience has carried, you know, into your life today. I mean, you, you know, and, and we'll talk about, you know, some of the grooves that you play. Um, but, you know, that that experience of arranging for an entire drum line, I mean, that had to stick with you, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It helped for sure to... Uh, 
you know, anytime you're given a demo or given, you know, an idea to play off of it, absolutely. It was very uh, instrumental, shall we say, from, <laughs> yeah. for, you know, forming for my formative years, you know. Well, for sure. Um, now, you said once you got to, to college age, you went straight to the bar bands. Um, how soon around that time did you and your brother kind of start putting together uh, the Gamble Brothers band? Well, uh, so I'll back up just a little bit. So growing up, you know, I had a drum kit. My brother is a keyboard player, organ player singer uh and so we would gather in the basement uh at young age and and play along with some of dad's records or something that we could just play by ourselves or you know a tape or a record that we had and then you know it's just the two of us and so we would often get caught if mom and dad were entertaining people that you know they'd call us down and be like hey need some entertainment come you know yeah how about some music you know and so you know you being told to go play something is is kind of it's always struck a, a nerve with us <laughs> you know we, i'll tell you when i'm ready to play you know that type thing uh, sure. but you know but it did it got us that helped you know kind of fuel the entertaining part of it and so uh finally you know throughout high school school for my brother you know he had some friends who picked up bass picked up guitar we'd have them over we'd play in the basement for you know every day during the summer have al's basement band down there and uh playing you know all the hits uh leonard skinner dire straits whatever you know whatever was awesome at that time um and cut through to high school for me didn't have a whole lot of band stuff going on uh in that regard it's, yeah, i was in a, like a christian rock band for a little bit did that and then uh on into college uh my brother and i both went to the university of alabama he's five years older than me so luckily he had been through the system already kind of worked it and that made it really easy for me to kind of get in there and find find people to play with because there were still people you know in town even though he'd graduated and move on you know there's a lot of a lot of people who are still there in town playing so it helped and this has kind of always been the case for me it, with him is uh i kind of follow him around um so that helped out of college i ended up getting a gig with a band out of Shreveport uh, called the Bluebirds, a band in which my brother had played years prior. Uh, got that gig, rode that for a little while, and then I decided to move to Memphis where my brother was and try to do something with him. Uh, and so I moved to Memphis probably 97, something like that, 97, early 98, um, and try to, you know, find a spot for myself on Bill Street. Uh, the first year wasn't that, wasn't that great. It wasn't that easy. I was, I was finding gigs, but it wasn't anything with any kind of regularity. Um, 
I wasn't, you know, getting steady pay. I was still going to have to be working otherwise, uh, you know. So I sold shoes at a local department store uh, and kind of found a balance there for a year or two, being able to to gig and, and hope to God that I had the afternoon shift at shoe store every day yeah on a weekly basis uh, and so eventually uh i got hired into a band that my brother was playing in was part of uh, that had that worked house gigs up and down bill street you know sometimes two different ones a night uh five six nights a week and uh that's probably the second most uh formative part of my training um just the players that i was playing with were so good and it was just such a different world for me uh because people would come and sit in and you know not everybody's awesome but a lot of times there's going to be awesome people coming and sitting in with you you know and you and you learn uh how to adjust and adapt that way um and plus, you're playing to you're playing to tourists a lot of the times, but it's uh, you know you just got to be quick on your feet, and uh, that was that was a huge huge deal for me. And then uh, I don't know after a couple of years of that, we started to kind of get get worn down a little bit, and it was a lot of work, and it was it was good money, uh, but you're having to work every night. Um, and so we started to kind of get tired of that. And my brother and I decided, you know, hey, let's let's give our own thing a shot. And so we used some of the house gig connections we had on Bill Street, like the Black Diamond and the Blue City Cafe and BB's. Uh, you know, those people all knew us. They knew we were we were decent, uh, at least. And uh, you know, they gave us our first gigs as the Gamble Brothers Band. And uh, you know, we aspired to get off of the street and and get out, you know, do some touring and stuff. And we were able to do that over time. Um, made three records probably in six, seven years. And, uh, that was, uh, it was, it was a good time, but that's, that's how that kind of came together. Yeah. Well, I mean, apparently you and I, you know, we just have so many things in common. We, we just missed each other in Memphis. You know, I was in Memphis in, you know, 95 and 96, kind of doing the same right. thing, honestly, you know, just right. any pickup gig that you could get at the Rum Boogie Cafe or Alfred's exactly. or, you know, Silky O'Sullivan's. Man, I, <laughs> that's one of the first gigs I went for was Rum Boogie. I tried to get in James Govan's band. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and he uh, and I went down and auditioned. I didn't do that great, and it was truthfully one of the first auditions I'd ever done. So I was a bucket of nerves, and you know I wasn't doing stuff just right. But every year after that, as long as I was in Memphis, James would always make it a point to come see me play after he finished his shift. He'd always come up, you know, and he'd be like, you know. I just, you know, you're so good now. He's like, I just got to say, you, you just weren't quite ready. Well, he's such a kind soul. He is, you know. Oh, he was I mean, a sweetheart, man. Yeah. Such a sweetheart. 
Well, I mean, you know, and that was back in the days that Memphis, you know, Beale Street, especially. I mean, some of those places were still just CD blues clubs. I mean, it wasn't, oh, yeah. you know, the, the tourist trap that it is today. I mean, there was no hard rock yeah. cafe, <laughs> you know, it was, right. you know, and it depended on which end of Beale Street you were on, what genre of music you were playing. You know, it was like the further, the, the, the closer you were to Riverside Drive, the more kind of traditional Delta blues you played and the further down you got, the more rock and roll it got, you know, <laughs> right. it was right. just such a, such a, 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 a crazy scene back in the mid nineties down there. And you yeah. know, I, the, the record that, you know, that I discovered from the Gamble brothers band was um, I, I think it was called back to the bottom. And, uh-huh. you know, I, I immediately said, wow, these guys have been listening to the meters a little bit, you know, I mean, it was, right. it was kind of that cool mix of new Orleans and Memphis, you know, it was, right. It, it was just it was different than other things that were out at that time. And it was just it just absolutely awesome music. So w- was Zigaboo one of your big influences growing up or or did it just kind of happen that way? No, absolutely. Uh, with as much knowledge as I had of him, I, I wouldn't say growing up, but once I was in, you know, uh, I don't know, senior in high school, on in the college years and stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to be Zig. And I wanted to be, you know, I was going to be in bands that were going to play Sissy Strut uh, every night, you know, probably open with it. So I wanted it to be as close as I could, you know, get it as close as I could. And, I, you know, I, there's, thank God there's probably not any tape of this, but, you know, <laughs> I, I can guarantee you that there is a, from the first time I played it, uh, you know, I was just bastardized, you know, I can't even say that word, uh, bastardizing the, the, his, his drum licks, you know, just shredding them probably just disgusting, you know, uh, just playing it how, you know, it's, is thinking I was doing great, but just playing it like as simple as you possibly could, but just trying to throw that boom, you know that yeah. that thing that's going to be everything, which is not even close to what he's doing. You know, but that's what you hear when you hear people covering it. It's you know, uh, it, it's it's nowhere close. If you really sit and listen, uh, there's a lot going on there, but not a lot going on there. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's a really hard his guy. His foot, oh my god, and and the symbol. I mean, the hi hat. Uh, on the you know he'll be playing a hi hat rhythm, but in that two and four period you're gonna hear it, you know it's yeah. gonna it's gonna splash some and it's just every time, uh, just amazing drummer. But yeah, I, that what that's kind of what we were going for was a New Orleans uh, meets Memphis vibe. I think that that those exact words probably even came out a time or two in an article or or maybe in our own description of it. Uh, our sax player that played with us was huge in helping us discover, you know, how to bridge that because he, he's just a, a consummate student of, of music and he, uh, you know, knows more about drumming than I did uh, and, and could direct me and how to and help me, you know, figure parts out and stuff. So, yeah, I was, that was, there was definitely a, 
uh, shout out there. Well, and it's good stuff. And and to this day, you know, um, I've been very fortunate to meet, you know, most of the guys in the 400 unit, Um, you know, other than other than Jason and Sadler, I've met all of you guys. And, you know, um, at one of your shows, you know, I I was talking to Jimbo and he kind of pointed at you and said, you know, if you could steal anything from Chad, take his left foot. (laughs) <laughs> you know because you do have because he doesn't want to hear it anymore he uh, wants somebody to actually steal it yeah I, <laughs> I don't believe that but um you know but you do have a lot of that stuff that goes on in your playing with jason which is really cool and it adds this really really unique i think kind of dynamic to the songs you know and and you know i hate mm-hmm. to jump around so much here but you know, you've been playing with Jason now, I, I think, if if not already, but definitely coming up on 10 years, right? Yeah, we just, the uh, Memorial Day weekend was the 10th anniversary of my first fill-in gig with Jason. Um, and we were, uh, that first gig was in Augusta, Georgia, and we just happened to be in Augusta, Georgia couple of weekends ago when the, I mean, that was kind of weird. And I didn't, I didn't even realize it until my wife said something about it. Oh, wow. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it is my 10th anniversary. And oh my God, we're in Augusta, Georgia. That's where the, the <laughs> as she says, you know, that's when, you know, stuff is meant to be. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you know, I was a huge, uh, and, and still am to, to, to a certain degree, I was a huge drive by truckers fan. And, you know, when Jason left that group and went out and started doing, you know, his solo career, you know, I, I tell people I joke around all the time. I say, yeah, man, I was in on the ground floor. You know, I, I had the, right. the the first record, you know, uh, Sirens of the Ditch. And then, you know, you came along right after that record. I think that first tour, he kind of just did kind of mostly solo acoustic kind of gigs, really. Um you know, but you have been with Jason from the days of traveling around in a van, you know, and, and playing, you know, oh, yeah. the bar circuit. So you've really been there for the entire um, climb of, of Jason's music. And, you know, dare I say, he's kind of the king of Americana right now. Um, I and, you know, I'm a huge fan of the music. Everybody that listens to this knows that, um, you know, and I think his writing, I have said a million times, he's my generation's Bob Dylan. That's the way I view Jason's writing. Um, it's just incredible music. And I've read in interviews that he doesn't really give you guys the songs before you go into the studio. You know, it, it's like you guys are all learning it as you're doing the records. Um, is that just super pressure for you as a drummer or is it? No, I, I this is fine. We're, we're going to get something good, you know, in, in two or three takes kind of thing. Uh, starting off, I, yeah, it was it, there was some pressure about that, uh, but uh it was never, you know, it was never said, Hey, we're going to get this in two or three takes. It's just like, you know, let's just, let's not have to think about it too much, you know? And I've, so that's what happens. Yeah. We get in to the studio day one and he'll 
break out the acoustic and, and run one down uh, in front of us all, and we'll each go to our booth and or whatever and and start chopping away at it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of takes uh, um, on any of them, I don't think, but only a few of them are probably first or second takes. Uh, we... But it's it's become how we how we do it, and everybody's comfortable with it now. I think, uh, and I I kind of take that philosophy when I'm doing other sessions, uh, whenever possible. You know, I'll I'll not listen to what I'm supposed to be learning the night before or anything. I'll, I'll wait until I'm either on my way to the studio. If I see they're not gonna, you know, I. I feel like everybody's kind of the same way. Like everybody could stand to listen to it at least one time. Uh, and I feel like that's usually going to happen in the studio. You know, Hey, you want to listen to it one time before we try this, you know? So either on my way to the studio or in the parking lot of the studio, nine times out of 10, everybody's going to want to hear it at least one time before we try something, if it's possible, if it's on a demo. So I, I tend to just try to, uh, you know, get a good sleep at night and not, <laughs> not have that rolling around in my head. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten well, more comfortable with it is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you can overthink it certainly as a player Absolutely. and, and, you know, then you go whiff at it, you know, <laughs> the next day yeah. in the studio and you're like, yeah, I probably, yeah. why would you do that to yourself? You don't want to drive yourself crazy. You know, you, I came up with these licks in my sleep last night and for this, it's going to be perfect for this song. And then you're going to spend, you know, time trying to actually make it work. You know, it, that doesn't interest me at all. I, I'd rather it be more organic. And uh, thankfully, I, I play with you know people who who can do that as well. And it's uh, it's I don't know. It it's, it makes going in there a lot easier. Uh, makes day one a lot easier because there's no expectations. You know, you don't know what's going to get thrown at you. So why worry about it? Right. You know? Right. Well, you know, I, I'm really curious too. you know, another guy that has, you know, just kind of blown up in, in the past few years is, is of course, your all's longtime uh, producer, Dave Cobb, you know, and, and now he's um, at the legendary, you know, RCA, a studio in Nashville. Um, what's it like working with Dave? I mean, I, I have a feeling it's probably pretty laid back and, you know, let's just get you know, a, a good take and a good song kind of thing. But, you know, I think where your all's career really kind of took a huge turn was with the Southeastern record, you know, and right. that's when everything really started blowing up, you know. Um, so what was it like working with Dave? I mean, how does he approach recording the drums? Is he a guy that's like, okay, we threw some mics on him, Chad, go play him. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> he, uh, no, he's not quite that, that lack of days go about it. He, he, he knows what he wants on the drums. And, and if, uh, and he's, you know, if he doesn't like what he's hearing, he'll switch mics out or whatever. He doesn't just live with it. Um, he, is a big proponent of, you know, it, it, if nothing else, let's get the drum track, you know, right. you know, drum and bass, please. Let's just get that, you know? And so, uh, he, he's not, 
he he is laid uh, laid back to a certain extent, but once you start recording a song, he doesn't want to lose any moment. He wants so you know he if we'll run it one time and if that wasn't it, he's like yeah yeah let's it while it's in your head you know let's 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 do this. It was feeling right and we just need to you know tighten it up here or there. Uh, so he you know it's it's. It goes from being laid back to like kind of super intense for just a minute, and then back to laid back again. He just wants to capture, uh, you know, he loves capturing the raw, uh, the raw uh, nucleus of everything, or the raw, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but it, uh, the raw sound, I guess, you know, and, and the and the people not really thinking about it, but just playing to what they they hear. Uh, so, you know, he's great to work with. He really is. And, and we've been fortunate to have him on three records. And, uh, you know, yeah, if, if not for him on that Southeastern record, I don't, I don't know that we'd be in the same spot we are now. Of course, you know, the songwriting had to be there and it was there, but, uh, you know, who knows what would have happened uh, if it had gone some other direction. Yeah. Well, for sure. Well, you know, I mean, so, when Southeastern first came out, um, you know, of course, I was one of the the first guys to run out and grab the record, you know, just because I am a fan of Jason's music so much. Um, and, and, you know, I'm one of those guys that when I get a record, I'm going to listen to the whole thing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I don't just like skip and, and pick tracks. I listen to the record as a whole because that's why you put it out. Right. Um, right. So the first time I went through Southeastern, you know, somebody asked me, well, what's it sound like? And I said, well, it's probably not a record you're going to put on at a party. You know, I mean, I think (laughs) I think that was my first reaction. And then after I spent a few days with it, I went, oh, my God, this this is it right here. This is going (laughs) to this is going to blow up. And, you know, but it, it took me two or three times through that record to get it does that make sense yeah absolutely absolutely and you know uh, it, it to this day one of my favorite songs is flying over water i love that track i mean it's just yeah. everything about that song i think is just perfect and, and your drum groove in that is awesome it's just uh, thanks. but you know it's behind it's kind of behind the beat it's not in your face, but it just propels that song perfectly. Um, you know, so again, I think Southeastern was the record that really kind of turned the corner for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, that, that was supposed to go down, uh, that whole record was supposed to go down a completely different Avenue. We were told in 2012, um, summer of 2012 i think that uh that we had just put out the live record and we were told that jason's next thing was going to be a solo record and we're like oh crap uh and that ryan adams was going to produce it and we're like well great so we all got to go find work now so uh, you know, and we, and we toured up until the time he was going to record. Uh, but, 
last minute, like, honest to God, a day or two out of recording, Ryan drops out for some reason. I don't even know the story behind that. And I think Dave's name got mentioned and, uh, and Dave was like, yeah, you know, we can, so it's going to be an acoustic record. Right. And so Dave's like, Oh yeah. He's like, well, you know, let's listen and, you know, let me hear some of the tunes you got. And, and so thankfully Dave was like, yeah, and you're probably going to want some players on this, you know, on, on at least most of it. Um, and so I got a call from Jason like a day before they go in the studio and he's like, Hey, look, I know this wasn't going to happen. He's like, but there's been a big shakeup and, you know, if you're available, you know, I'd love to have you up here. And, and that was the case for everybody. He called Derry, keyboard player. Jimbo, unfortunately, had accepted a gig out in Montana for like a few weeks. It was a few weeks long or something like that and could not get out of it and could not get back in time because it was so last minute. Uh, and it just, you know, it, that breaks my heart to this day that he wasn't on it. Uh, but uh, you know, thankfully somebody <laughs> was the voice of reason to get, get, make sure we had players on that record. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was a, it was a great experience. Uh, and the guy who played bass, you know, nothing gets him. He did great. Uh, Brian Allen, I think is the name. And, uh, but anyway, it was, uh, definitely the turning point and, you know, thank God. And I'll tell you what the turning point that I knew, as soon as he played it in the studio for us, I was covering me up and I knew I wasn't going to play on that song. But as soon as I heard that song, I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. This is it. Well, and, you know, lo and behold, it, it, the song itself probably didn't do much, but it's probably one of the most revered, uh, and what people want to hear, you know, when they come to a show. Yeah, well, for sure. And, you know, I mean, the, the way you guys do that live is really cool. You know, it, it's still that tender acoustic ballad for, you know, three quarters of the song. And then the rest of the band kind of comes out on onto the stage and you guys finish it as a band, which is and is, right. and is very dramatic and it's cool. And, and I'm glad that that you guys have arranged it that way live so that the whole band is, is out there enjoying, you know, what is arguably, you know, a crowd favorite. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's a really cool moment in your all show. And, you know, I, I think the Southeastern record too, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, certainly, but I think, you're playing, you know, uh, is a little bit different on Southeastern. You know, there's a lot of brush work and, and a lot of mallet work, which, you know, maybe we didn't hear so much of that on the prior records. Um, w- was that a challenge for you or was it just, no, that's what this song needs. So that's what I'm going to do. Well, uh, it was, it was kind of that the latter there. That's what this needs. And that's what I'm going to do. The, struggle with the brushwork up to that point is anytime it'd been on a, I played brushwork on a record, it was going to be a train beat, you know? And, uh, that's something we always try, try to avoid. Sometimes there's just no getting around it. It's going to be kind of a train beat, but this was kind of the first, uh, first, uh, brushwork that I'd done on a record that wasn't, I mean, that song she sang in the shower was, 
kind of my first swirling brush uh, uh, <laughs> recorded moment. Uh, it was a pretty good uh, one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, man, I thought I did great. <laughs> I think you did too. I mean, it, that song sound like a train at all. <laughs> that, well, and that song's really good too. You know, I mean, it's. Um, I, but I mean, I saw a definite change in your playing on that record without yeah, a doubt it, things swung a little bit more too on that record like uh you know it, it, it was uh up to that point i'd been at the mercy of of with the exception of here we rest to a certain extent but the up to that point i'd kind of been at the mercy of what the sound had been before i joined the band um uh, or the what the drummers had played before i joined the band you know, and that was a lot of songs still, you know, to be playing that drummers, previous drummers had recorded, and that was the part, and that's what you're going to have to play. Uh, but I felt like with Dave, you know, he uh, he encouraged, you know, let's get out of the, let's get out of the dude rock, you know, thing a little bit, and, you know, just kind of play what feels natural to you. And I, I love to act like I can play jazz. And <laughs> you, you and me both, so, brother. <laughs> so, yeah, man. So, you know, songs like Stockholm, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going for it, man. Let's, let's do this. Let's swing this mug, you know? And, yeah. uh, and that's, I don't believe that was what was actually going to happen on that song originally. It, it was, I think it was slower and definitely more tame is what they had an idea for. But I, you know, I got in there and kind of messed around with it a little bit. And, you know, I'm pretty proud of that one. I, that, that one, uh, that one felt good going down. <laughs> and it's a great song. And, you know, I've always wanted to ask the question. I've never had the opportunity to ask you this, but, you know, kind of coming out of that middle section, you kind of flip the beat around. It's, it's almost like the rest of the band is kind of playing in, I, I don't know, maybe in three and, and you have to bring it back out to the, to the four. Um, right. So was that just how the song was written uh, or was that something that you kind of did on purpose? Uh, it was, it's just kind of how it felt, uh, you know? Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of how it was written and it took me a second just to, get my head around it but it and it's it's not that difficult to part by any means but it it kind of does throw you there for a second uh but yeah it's just that's how it was written well yeah i mean it's just that whole record is fantastic and i you know i don't mean to spend so much time talking about it but it, it was such a, a you know an important record for the trajectory of the band no doubt about it um, yeah, absolutely. You know, now the the record that you guys are out touring right now, and and I want to I want to say this, and I've given you so much grief through social media <laughs> over the <laughs> over the last couple of years, but man, the Nashville sound, you finally got a couple of Grammys sitting on your shelf, well deserved, and congratulations, Chad. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you. I actually have one Grammy, so, uh, but. Thank you very much. I've got, uh, okay. So, so I'll explain how that works. I, uh, so, I guess when we were vampires or if we were vampires, you, you, I guess there's no drums on that song, right? Well, not only that, but it was, uh, the Grammy for best song. 
so that goes to the songwriter. I got, okay, yeah, okay. Which, I, you know, that was a question we had in our head up until the time, you know, we're backstage at the <laughs> right. at the Grammys. When the, but that's how that works. And, and then we, you know, on the record previous to that, Something More Than Free, Jason won two Grammys for it. And that was billed as Jason Pisbull, not not and the 400 unit so he got he has uh the two grammys for that record which was song and album but we did get recognition certificates you know that i have framed in my house uh right now but anyway yes i do have a grammy it's unbelievable i can't believe it it's crazy well, I, I, I will tell I, I will say this, you know, one of the great honors of my life is, you know, about a year or so ago, I became a voting member of the Grammys and I, yeah. I smiled from ear to ear when I pressed that button to submit my ballot <laughs> voting for you guys. Um, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, and obviously, you know, you, you and I are acquaintances and, and I've followed you on social media and, and we've talked, you know, several times. But, you know, one of the cool things was seeing, you know, just the joy and the, and the family atmosphere that the band had going to New York for the ceremony. I, you know, I was just so happy for you guys. I, re- I really was. And, you know. Yeah, man, that that was so awesome, man. And, and you know. Who deserves these trophies more than, you know, those of us who are married and than our spouses, you know, and that that's I'll, I've said it before and I'll say it again. She, my wife, it's every bit as much hers as it is mine and probably more so. So, yeah, well, I mean, there's just a certain amount of, of sacrifice that goes with with being married to a musician, especially being married to one of us drummers. Man, God, I mean, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself through that? I, you know, I don't know. I, and I think it was uh, Liberty DeVito I had on the show. And we, we decided that there there should be like an Olympic sport for drummers wives and they should all just get the gold, <laughs> gold medal, you know. Um, so, I mean, I get it totally. But, you know, the, the record that you guys are out there with right now, the Nashville Sound, you know, I, I'm going to say um, it, it was another kind of... You know, I, I'm not going to say it's completely different, but this record certainly has more of a rock undertone to it than the previous two. Um, you know, I, I think that's a fair statement. You can correct me if if it's not. But, you know, some of the stuff like Cumberland Gap, um, anxiety and, and quite honestly, anxiety is is just I, that drum track is phenomenal. I mean, it's just great. And, and you know. I think you kind of got to do your Keith Moon on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I have one, then yeah, that that was my. I don't know that I have a Keith Moon in me, but yeah, that that was it. They just said go nuts, and that was me kind of going nuts. So. Well, I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a fantastic record, and sonically, it's it's. I think it has more of a rock sound to it, and and just you know, just a fantastically great record. Um, you know, and you guys, you know, we, we mentioned it at the, at the top of the interview, you guys are just touring like crazy. Now, now you're about to head to Europe here in the next week or so, right? Yeah. Here in a few days. Okay. For sure. 
well, so what are you seeing with the shows now? It primarily you guys are, are touring as the headliner, um, you know, and you're doing, you know, medium sized theaters, uh, some shed shows, n- no doubt about it. And, you know, I caught a show back in um, April down in Greenville, South Carolina, and it completely sold out, you know, in like five minutes. And we've got some family down in Greenville and, and you know, my nephew actually works at the Peace Center. So I was able to say, get me tickets, you know, when they, oh, go, nice. when they go on sale. So we had really good seats, but it was completely packed, sold out. I, all of the shows are that way these days. I mean, how I guess the question I'm trying to get to, Chad, is how different is it now with that level of success as to when you first joined the band and, and you guys were traveling around in a van? I mean, does it feel like vindication <laughs> for you? It does. It does. But I'll, I'll say this. Uh, when I first started playing with Jason and, and playing in smaller bars, I was always amazed at the following that he already had. You know, if it, even if the place only held 100 people, there was going to be 100 people there. Right on. Uh, and that's something I had not experienced yet in my career. You know, playing with my brother, it was just rolling the dice, you know, and rolling to a new town and just hope to God somebody, you know, showed up, you know. And then we had some fans, but nothing like this. And so that's always impressed me. And, uh, you know, it, not that there's not off nights. Yeah, there's going to be an off night when you play in, you know, uh, uh, El Paso or somewhere like that. You know, it's not not necessarily our crowd, wholly our crowd. You know, there's going to be people there. But primarily now, though, yeah, th- these theaters are, are packed out and, and we, we still see growth. Uh, our demographic has changed drastically. Uh, it used to be just all, you know, portly gentlemen with beards and, <laughs> and baseball hats. And now, you know, there's actually females at the show. And, and hey, look, there's, you know, there's some older people there. You know, there's there's younger people there. There's always kids at a show now, which I'm amazed at. Yeah. Uh, and, and God bless those parents, you know, but also, you know, put them suckers to bed. They got to... At school the next morning, you know, a lot of times. Uh, they, uh, but yeah, it's it's always been an impressive thing to me, and and thankfully it hasn't gone the other way yet. Uh, hopefully it won't ever go the other way where the crowds start slipping. But yeah, it's it's a good time now, and it is. It it's definitely a, uh, an affirmation that that you know we've all made the right choice ultimately. You know to be where we are and, and doing what we're doing and it's paying off. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. Well, and, and also I'll add to that, that, you know, my first trip over to Europe with them, however many, eight years ago or so, I was like, ah, oh, man, why are we, you know, who are we expecting to come? And sure enough, man, the same thing. He had a following already over there. So that's grown as well. And, and in Europe, uh, Northern Europe, we do real well. Scandinavian countries love us, you know. Uh, and so we're starting to, it, it's about, as far as capacity, crowd capacity goes, it's probably, I don't know, 
a year and a half behind what our U.S. is, meaning that, you know, we're still growing and still, still, you know, we're just now getting to 2,000, 2,500 seats in Europe, uh, you know, so, and then right now in the U.S., we're growing to between three and five. So, you know, it, it's, you can kind of market uh, and, and watch it, you know, happen. It, it's, it's neat. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, something that I've noticed in my years of coming to your all shows is, you know, I used to be the guy that was, you know, I'm standing up no matter what. I I don't care if anybody else is sitting down. I'm standing up, you know, I'm singing along to all the songs. What I've noticed over the past like three years is everybody else is singing along as well. (laughs) So exactly, you know, and. I just I think that's so awesome because if you sit down and listen to the music, you know, it's it's just going to uh, you know, it's going to speak to you if you listen to the lyrical content that Jason writes. You know, it's right. Um, it, it's not just brainless pop music and I'm not taking away from anybody else. If you want to write brainless pop music, that's great. But Right. For some guys, they want, you know, some some content there. And, and Jason has right. that in spades, you know, um, I, I, I would say, yeah, it, it's super related, relatable content. And it's that's that's kind of the magic of it. Uh, and it's funny, you know, talking about demographics again and people standing up and seeing it's funny because you, you can also pinpoint at what point. Somebody got on the train, you know, so during a set, what I see like out front is a certain group of people who know every song and they tend to be the portlier dudes with beards and the, you know, baseball hats. And then you can kind of see some Southeastern people in there. You can see that's kind of where they picked up on it. And then you move over and you can see some, you know, the next record, uh, something more than free, you know, and, and it's funny to see the people who just got on board and something more than free and Nashville sound. It's, it's funny to watch them the rest of the show because, you know, they've heard those songs, some of those songs, maybe they've heard some of those songs. They don't know the words, but they're going to move their mouth like they know them. And, it, and it's, it's <laughs> kind of funny to watch. There's nowhere close to the right words. It's hilarious. Right. And I have to keep myself from cracking up. One thing, if I smile too big, my in-ears pop out. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, but it, it, it's fun to watch. It's, um, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, I caught a show in April um, and I think you guys opened with uh, Go It Alone and I lost my mind. You know, I'm I I was like, I don't know, three or four rows back and, you know, I lost my mind and there were several people around me that, you know, that was from an earlier record and they were like, man, this guy must be a huge fan, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but you know, I I love the old stuff. I love the new stuff. It's just, you know, it's just such good music. Um, you know, and, and the live show is, um, you know, it's a dumb question, but I, I, and I already know the answer, but I, I will ask it straight from you and get it from the horse's mouth. You guys are a hundred percent live. There's no tracks, none of that stuff. And I've said that a billion times to people. It's gonna sound like the record. 
I mean, they're that good, you know? So I, you know, I'm sure you've seen other bands that, that augment their sound with tracks and stuff like that. You guys are hundred percent live off the cuff, right? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. So, so doing Uh, it the right uh, way, kids doing it the right way. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, in certain genres, you know, that's, that's understandable, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go out like that, man. No, no. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I wouldn't. And so, I mean, I, I just think that, that your all show is, um, you know, you guys are so tight and just the, the rhythm section. I mean, you, you and Jimbo are just a force to be reckoned with. And I don't know if there's something in the water down there around Muscle Shoals or what it is, but, you know, that's what they say. I, you know, I have yet to see a drummer and a bass player from that area that wasn't just you know, I, stuck like glue on each other and just awesome. You know, I mean, it's good stuff. He, you know, I, I don't know what I'd do without him. He is, uh, we do, we work very well together and, uh, you know, we love each other and we, we support each other. And, and I told Jimbo when I joined the band, I was like, you know, what this town needs, again, talking about Muscle Shoals, it's like, you know, they need another not a not that you can duplicate in any form or fashion what Roger Hawkins and David Hood have done. It's like, but you know, we need to kind of seek to become that duo, uh, and you know, and try to try to work as much as possible in the studio and uh, you know, the years of, of playing live together is only going to make that just stronger and stronger. Um, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I feel like we're succeeding to a certain extent, you know, and like I say, there's no way you could possibly replicate what, what David and Roger have done, but, you know, just, just to have, uh, you know, consider ourselves a team, whether with, we're with Jason or not, you know? Yeah. So, well, you guys are succeeding, no doubt about it. Um, Chad, I want to be very respectful of your time. Um, you know, we're coming to the, to the end of our interview. Unfortunately, I could, I could talk to you all night, but, uh, you know, (laughs) we can do it again. Absolutely. And, you know, it's an open invitation here, man, for, for, for an old buddy like you, you, anytime you've got the time to come on the drum shuffle, you're welcome here. Uh, You know, it goes, Uh, goes without saying. Um, but you know, one of the things that we always do is we ask our guests for a good piece of advice. And I I know that you've probably got some good advice, uh, to, to give to other drummers, other musicians, you know, tell us something that we can apply to, to our lives that you've learned, uh, over your amazing career. (laughs) Uh, man, my thing is, is just persistence, I think is is the key so you you know i i played for a lot of years toured a lot before i was with this band and then kind of got burnt out or just not burnt out but discouraged and so i took a year off um after my daughter was born and or a year or two after my daughter was born i took a year off and i sold ads for a freaking phone book and i was the worst salesman ever just <laughs> I think to actually consider myself a salesman, I would have had to actually have gone into these places of business to try to sell them ads. So I wouldn't even do that. You know, I'd do as little as possible, get away with as little as possible. And, you know, I became miserable in that. And 
my wife was like, you know, uh, I don't want to get a divorce, so why don't you find somebody to play with? You know, and so I quit my job. The very next day, Jason called me for that first, uh, actually for for the run that I was ultimately hired on. Um, didn't see that coming. I was just going to play it by ear, you know, and thankfully that happened. But, and that that's luck for sure, but persistence, persistence, persistence is it because, you know, you just, you, if you give up, what's, you know, if this is what you want to do, then you got to put your heart and soul into it. Make it, make it your life. You have to learn a balance if you have a family for sure. Um, but you just you you just make it work in whatever way you can, because the other side for me was not not pretty. <laughs> That's it. Just keep at it, kids, or don't do it at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's a tough call for a lot of people. You know, I mean, when when you have responsibilities, you know, the mortgage, the car payment, all those things, it's it's hard to say to your wife, yeah, I'm I'm going out on tour and I'm going to get paid 200 bucks a week. I love you, honey. I'll see you in seven months. <laughs> I, I begged for one more year. I can't tell you how many times I've begged for one more year for my wife. I just give me one more year. Let me, I mean, I feel like something's about to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you got to do to keep at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's a tough conversation, but you know what? I'm glad that you've, uh, that you've <laughs> stuck with it because you guys are putting out some amazing, amazing tunes. Um, have a great run over in Europe. Um, I know that you guys are, are book solid, you know, all the way up through September of this year. Um, one last question. I'm assuming a new record is, is coming sometime uh after you guys finish up uh this cycle uh any word any any scoop you can give us tonight the well there's i don't know about a new studio record but there will be a live record uh shortly awesome there's it's already been recorded and all that so uh yeah it's in the process of getting uh i think it just got mixed the final mix was probably last week and then that announcement will be coming shortly and i probably shouldn't have just said that but well okay let me ask this will you get fired for making that announcement on this show God, wouldn't that be the worst? Oh, I, man. Yeah, I, probably so. Well, <laughs> okay, you tell me when I can publish the episode, Chad. And I'll, <laughs> I feel like an announcement is forthcoming, and it's kind of already out there. I mean, I've, yeah. heard, I've seen rumblings of it. So, yeah, I just don't know when. That's the, that's the honest truth. I don't know when it's coming out. But I would, I would say probably in the next five to six months for sure. Cool. Well, we will definitely look forward to that uh, again, brother. Thank you so much for taking time while you have, you know, just a couple of weeks off between runs out there. I really appreciate you taking time to do this. Um, and again, yes, sir, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. You're welcome here anytime, brother. Um, you guys be safe over in Europe and we will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Chad. Talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. 
All right, everybody, that's going to do it for episode 20 of the Drum Shuffle. My thanks again to Chad Gamble for taking uh, an hour out of his vacation, quite honestly, to come on the show. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you go out there and, and check out Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. They're going to be in Europe for a couple of weeks, but they are on the road here in the States uh, pretty much up until the first part of October. Uh, just a great show. I can't can't say that enough. Go check them out when they come to a city near you. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever service you're using to listen in today. As always, we have great guests coming up. Next week, I'm going to be joined by the fantastic Jeff Williams. Jeff has just been uh, an icon on the jazz scene for quite a number of years. Uh, just going to have a great conversation with him. So you're going to want to tune in for that show for sure. You don't want to miss some of the other uh, folks we have coming up on the show over the next few weeks. I want to thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. We can't do any of this without any of you. And as always, keep your emails coming to us. We love hearing from you throughout the week. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. As always, until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.